You know, we started a series in January where we were teaching through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus from the eyewitness accounts of the apostles, those that walked with him, those that saw all that he did. And, and Mark's Gospel was, was the eyewitness account of Peter, the apostle Peter. And, and Peter, as we were learning about this, we found that throughout the book of Mark, there were stories he would tell that, that were things he saw Jesus do, but he had, a, he had a way of leaving himself out of those stories. And I thought it was a great model because he was saying, look, I'm not the important one, he is. But one of those stories was so critical in his life and ours that we kind of pulled it out to make a little mini-series. We started two weeks ago called Come Walk With Me. And it's based on a story in Matthew chapter 14 that just seems beyond reason, but yet it's something that, that speaks to our lives today because each one of us have a walk with God. Each one of us have a walk with God. We either walking by faith or we're walking in ignoring, where we're walking as if he doesn't exist, but we all have a walk with God. And I would ask you this morning as we dive into this, how's your walk with God? How's your walk with God? Where is your faith? That, that's the question we all have to answer, isn't it? Where is our faith? Is it in the things we control or is it in our God who created us and loves us and gave his life for us? And we see this story in a moment of just little out of control. Matthew 14, verse 25, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Speaking of Jesus, after he administered the crowds, he got alone for a little time away. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. It wasn't necessarily a storm. It was just it was fighting against them. So they were, they were in a place of struggle, the disciples. They were trying to get to the other side of the, of the lake. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. Now, come on, we would do the same, right? And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, in Mark's gospel, that's where Peter ends the story. He just said, well, that was a cool story. Jesus came walking on the water again to prove that he is God, and, and we saw that, and we believe that he is. But in Matthew's account, <laughs> he tells on Peter. And in verse 28, he says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Father, today, God, I pray that, Lord, we would answer in our own heart today, Lord, where is our faith? God, where is our hope? God, what are we trusting in in this life? And Father, I pray, God, we would receive that, Lord, as a, not just a contemplative moment, but a challenge, God. Lord, to allow your spirit to speak to us through the living word of God. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. As we sang this morning, we are not alone, God. Father, you are, you are close. You said you draw near to those who draw near to you. So God, let us draw in this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You read this story, and you're almost incredulous. You're like, okay, so the Christian life is all about taking impossible risks, and that's not the story at all. The Christian life is about doing wild things. No, that's not the story at all. The Christian life, the life of faith, is just that. It's a life of faith that says where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. 
And where Jesus is, that is a place of safety and strength and comfort in my lives. And as he bid Peter to come walk on the water, it's no different than him bidding us to say, come and walk with me. You see, when we talk about this walk of faith, it's not about taking risks for the sake of risk. Let's be honest. If we said this morning, how many of you are like risk averse? I would say probably most of us in the room would raise our hands. It's not natural in our human tendencies to go, I love taking risks. There's a few that do, and y'all are just unique. But for most of us, we are called to live these lives that are adventurous. I think it's a better term, adventurous. Because to follow Christ is to live a life of extreme obedience to his word and to his truth. As he bids us to follow, he's not saying follow me blindly, but follow me because I am truth. And in this truth, you find life. Because this is not about walking on water at all. To my knowledge and to the history of the world, there's two people that have walked on, on water, Jesus and Peter. That's it. And there's not, a, there's not a show around town like come to this church, they're walking on water. That would just be weird because it's not about walking on water. It's about recognizing that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who was showing and demonstrating by his miracles and power and healing that he was God, came and gave a gift to the disciples that night of his presence in the middle of a hard place. And he calls us to have that same faith in the middle of our hard places, to recognize we're not alone, but to recognize we're called in obedience to say, I want to be where you are. But by walking by faith, it brings some challenge to us. Because if we are to walk by faith, it means this. It means we have to face our fears in life and not let fear have the final word. Too many people are living letting fear have the final word. And because of that, they make no impact in this life. They, just, they, they survive as, as if our, our, our prime purpose is to get into the life safe. That's boring. That's not what we were created for. God didn't create us just to get into the life safe. He created us to make a difference in life while we're here to experience eternal life, both now and forever with him in heaven. So we have to, we have to get past these fears and, and come to that place where we discover who we are. We embrace the uniqueness of our callings and our giftings that God has placed into us and then experience God's power to do in us and through us what we can never do alone. Amen. Church, I want to live a life that can only be explained by God. I want to live a life that can only be explained by His work in me, His Holy Spirit working in me, to have peace when it makes no sense, to have joy when it makes no sense, to have this love that overflows when it makes no sense. But that, that's not human. That's not natural. It comes because Christ dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. And so we're walking in this study, and we're, we're walking through it saying, God, teach us what you want us to see out of this. Because, again, we're not going to walk on the water, but we need to recognize his call is for all of us to get out of the boat in our life, to get out of that place where we control and trust him, That's right. to trust him. And so I invite you in this journey, and today what we're going to talk about is really the, the high cost of staying in the boat. The high cost of staying in the boat. Two weeks ago when we kicked this off, we, we said there's a, there's a pattern of scripture you have to understand that is in every one of our lives because God created us and he created us for a purpose. And that pattern is simply as this. There is always a call on all of us. We are called to know our God and to experience his love and to welcome his word as the truth that directs our lives. We're all called. There's a second thing in that there's always fear. <laughs> there's always fear because in our humanity, we struggle with it. So, well, we're not God. How are we? Well, he then gives us reassurance. We sang about it today. I'm with you. In fact, he said, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. I'll never leave you alone. And then there's always a decision to make. And that, that's really where it comes down to. Every one of us has a decision. Do we follow him or not? And we're given that opportunity over and over and over and over and again. And every time we have that opportunity to make the decision, either way, there's always a changed life. 
If we say yes, then we grow. And our faith grows, our impact grows. If we say no, then we're more likely to say no all the time. God, I've got it. I'm in control of my life. Thank you for giving me creation. We're good. There's always a changed life. And so when we see this pattern, then we have to recognize God is calling us. And next week we're going to talk about how God calls us. But today I want to talk about the, the danger of not heeding that call, okay? And to do that, we have to understand the nature of our God. So I want you to go forward in your scripture a little bit to, to Matthew 25, of a story that Jesus told, a parable, it's a, a story for us to learn from, that speaks about him being the Lord of the gift, because he is the Lord of the gift. In James 1.17, not, not in your, I'm not asking you to turn it to be on the screen, says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good thing. That's why people say, I have nothing to praise God for. Are you alive? Are you breathing? Do you have someone in your life that cares about you? Do you, have, do you have any hope at all? Can I tell you, that doesn't come just because you showed up. That came because God made you. And, and we have to be quick to return that praise to our God because every good and perfect gift comes from above. You see, that word gifts, though, kind of trips us up because we, we tend to think of gifts as tangible, right? I'm sure today there are a lot of gifts that are being exchanged. There's a lot of, oh, mom, bless you. Here's another cup towel or here's another uh, picture when I was a baby. I mean, those are great. They're, they're great. But the gifts so often in the Word of God aren't these tangible things that are temporal. In fact, some of the greatest gifts God gives you and I are the gifts of opportunity, the gifts of walking in a moment that God has prepared for us, that moment where we have a choice. Do we become, do we grow, or do we just stay the same? But no matter what the gift is, anytime we have a gift, we, we, we have to respond to it, don't we? And really, there's only two ways to respond to gifts. And the first one makes no sense. And that is to look at a gift and say, it's, oh, it's so valuable, I can't even take it out of the package. It's just going to stay in the box the whole time. I'm going to put it on a shelf somewhere because that was an amazing gift. Why bother, right? Not only why bother, but you're thwarting the intent of the gift giver. They didn't give it to you to leave it in the box. They gave it to you to enjoy. And that's the second. That is that the gift is so valuable, we've got to risk pulling it out of the box. We've got to risk pulling it out. It's like if we break it, we break it. But you know what? We're going to enjoy what has been given to us. So taking that gift out of the box, there's a risk. But yet when we risk it, what we're saying to God is, God, you've entrusted us with a gift. And, Lord, we're going to do our best to honor you by using it. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, just really good with the word, said this. He said, we serve the Lord of the gift. He can take the five fish and two loaves and feed the multitudes. The Lord of the gift can take two mites given by an impoverished widow and make it the lead gift in the whole campaign. The Lord of the gift can take a stuttering fugitive named Moses and defy a, defy a world power dictator and his army. The Lord of the gift can go from a bloodstained cross to an empty tomb, somebody. The Lord of the gift can take 12 bumbling followers and create a community that is spread throughout the world with a dream that refuses to die. He is a surprisingly resourceful person, the Lord of the gift. He can take what you have to offer and make a difference that matters for eternity. That's our God. And that's the gift he offers us. He offered the disciples this incredible gift. He came walking by. He's showing his deity. But in that moment, he gave them an opportunity to understand something greater in the moment. That is where he is. He wants them to be. And Peter's the only one that picked up on that. And this opportunity was there for all of them, but only one opened the gift. And that was Peter. See, he wasn't looking for what most of us look for. God, I'll step out by faith if there's a guarantee. God, God I, I'll step in the mission if I know what's going to happen. 
God, I, God, I'll give. I understand what you're going to do with my finance. Or God, I'll, I'll witness if I understand what's going to take place. No, Peter's like, hey, I'm sink or swim. If that's where you are, Jesus, that's where I want to be. He was looking for an opportunity to be with Jesus and to do what Jesus said he could do. Did you see the words? He said, hey, if you bid me come, I'll come. If Jesus would have said, Peter, stay in the boat. Well, come on. You just, you're always pushing the boundaries here. He would have stayed. But instead, because Jesus said, come, he's saying, it is possible because I'm here. It's not possible in you, Peter. You're going to sink like a rock. But in me, you can do this. And he walked until he got afraid. He saw the waves. You know the story. But, by, but yet we focus on Peter, and, and some people kind of beat up on him like, oh, my goodness, so impetuous. But it, it's the other 11 I have trouble with. That's right. it, it's the other 11 that kept the gift in the box. It's the other 11 that, that treasured safety over growth. They're, 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 they're like the believer today that says, I just can't risk anything. I, I can't step out by faith. I, I just can't live this life because it may not work. But yet so much of our walk with Christ is not experienced until you take the step out of the boats. He doesn't show you on a grand screen, screen somewhere, here's how your life's going to go if you trust me. But he makes promises that says this is what's going to take place through me in your life. But you've got to step into it to ever experience it. You see, there's a cost of staying in the boat. Now, the cost of getting out of the boat's obvious. You know, what if, what if you fail? What if you're embarrassed? What if you're criticized? Peter could have drowned. He could have been a really short-term life there. I don't know. But they paid a higher price because they missed the opportunity. And they missed the opportunity to grow. And guys, God created every one of us to grow. There, there is an inherent in every believer, in every life, in every creation, there is an inherent need to grow. Think about this. Marriages must grow or they become dull, stayed, and defeated. They've got to grow. They, otherwise, they become intimate strangers. One day show up, the kids are gone, there's nothing left. The body's got to grow, somebody. Now, I'm in that weird phase where I'm shrinking, but I'm claiming growth. I lost a half an inch in the last five years. I don't know. It's weird growth of age here. <laughs> Judah, they, they, you know it, guys. They're going to get excited about it. Hey, he gained an ounce this week. Wow. He's a quarter inch longer than he was last week. And they measure everything until he becomes a teenager and eats them out of house at home. And they're going to like, please, God, let him stop growing. <laughs> Skills must grow. I mean, let's get corporate for a moment. If you still use the same skill set you did when you got the job, you're probably expendable. Because there's others that are still learning and still growing that will flat, flat pass you by. we got to grow. Churches must grow. We, we recognize God put it in us. There's a growth that he wants to take place in all of us. And he's given us gifts that we have to choose whether we risk open them or take them out of the box. And this parable I told you to turn to illustrates this so well. Matthew 25, pick it up in verse 14. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Mark that down, to his ability. Then he went away. Let's modernize the story. It'd be like a CEO that looks over his employees and he pulls out three key employees and he says, if I got an opportunity for you, and he, and he lavishes an opportunity on them that will only be realized by their willingness to get out of the boat and walk by faith, to, to get out of them, their little shelter and say, I'm going to risk something because I've been, I've been entrusted with it. To one, he gave five talents. The talent in the Word of God is not talent like singing and dancing. That word talent, it's the equivalent of 15 years wage of somebody. 
That'd be a nice gift to get, right? 15 years wages. The second got two talents, and the third got one talent. I mean, it's a chance of a lifetime. The, he didn't pull out the, the slackers. He didn't pull out the ones that are like just trying to always get away with nothing. No, he pulls out three key employees and gives them this chance of a lifetime if they'll just exercise initiative, use judgment, and, and potentially rise to a greater responsibility, and oh, by the way, a greater reward if they would just do what the master asked of them. I mean, up until now, they're servants, right? Carrying out somebody else's orders. Their lives are predictable, routine, and safe, and now the master calls them out. And says, I want you to see what I've given you, but I want you to do something with it. Listen real carefully, because some people can get off, off real quick on this story. It, this story is not about some being gifted and some not. So I'm not just talking to those of you who think you are gifted today, because how many know everybody's gifted in some way? No. It's a story that says we're called to know him. We're equipped by God. We, we don't get to decide our giftedness. I, like I said, Judah didn't come out with a, like a sticky note on his head like, this is what I'm here for. You know, that'd be great for parents, but that's not the way it works. But God chose the gifts. God chose what the personality, chose the opportunity. And we all have a choice whether we step out and use our gift to impact not just ourselves. Key point here, guys. The gifts of God are not just for you to have a comfortable life. The gifts God put in us is so the kingdom of God may expand. So that others that are far from God may know God. That, that's our created purpose once we surrender our lives in the, to Christ because we live in a lost, broken world. And yet God didn't send angels to proclaim his glory. He sent us to represent him well by walking by faith. So put yourself in this story this morning. Walk with me in this. And let's come to that place then where we can then say, God, what am I doing with the gifts I have? You see, substitute the word life for talent. Just substitute the word life for talent. God gave us life. He has given us our mind, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, our family. We didn't choose our families, our bodies, our ability to generate wealth, our will. All that we have is from our God who created us in his own image. And the word of God says when he did it, he said he did it well. Someone needs to hear that this morning. God did it well. Culture may tell you something else, but God made you well. He wants you to be whole. That's that integrity we prayed over earlier. And he's been very generous because, again, there's no, no talent people. There, there's no one that, that God says, I'm not giving you anything. Just survive, and maybe I'll come back for you. No, he gave every one of his gifts to make an impact in this world. But our story, our story is followers of Christ today is better than the story we read in the Bible. Because in that story, the master gave them the gifts, and he went away. But our master's still with us. Oh, he went away, the resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven, but in the moment we surrender our lives to Christ, he fills us with his spirit who will guide us and teach us and lead us in all wisdom and encouragement all the day long. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a gift to us. He's even promised to pick us up when we falter and forgive us when we fail, not if we fail, when we fail. Because we will all stumble in our humanity. We will all sometimes make it wrong and not do it the way God hopefully wants us to do. But he's offered to pick us up and forgive us, even as he reached down to Peter and said, I'm not going to let you drown. But you got your eyes on the wrong place. You started, you started going down, but he picked him up, put him back in the boats. And the key is I've got to prize and appreciate the Lord of the gift. 
I got to understand who God is in my life, the gift he's given me, and to use it for his purposes. And like the first and second servants, I've got to go at once and do something with the gift God's given me. Pick it up, verse 16. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So they're engaging the gift. They're saying, okay, he's entrusted us to make something more out of this. And in their circumstance, they, they doubled literally what, what they had been given. But then there's the third servant. The third servant did what so many do today. He buried the talent because the risk of using it was too high. He buried the talent because the risk of trusting was too high. In verse 18, it says, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, some people may say, well, that was wise. I mean, after all, I mean, he can return what was given him. But that wasn't what was instructed. That wasn't the purpose of the gifts. If, if, I, if I today take my retirement and give it to an investor and say, hey, I want to retire someday, I'm not expecting in 10 years him to come back and say, well, I kept it in a hole. Here it is. How many know I might not be happy with him? Well, in the same way, the master saw what he did because this third servant didn't realize that not only was the master the Lord of the gift, but he was also the Lord of the settled accounts. Guys, our God is the Lord of the gift, but he's also the Lord of the settled accounts. We, we sometimes forget that. Look what happened in this story, verse 19. Not long time, the master of the servant came and settled accounts with him. And he, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have more, made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Guys, that's, that's what we're living for. Someday I cross into heaven. I want to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Let me make you ruler over much. But then he came to the third. And he had not done what the first two did. The five and the two, they, they were responsible. They used what was entrusted. And they, and they received the identical commendation. Did you notice that? It wasn't about the size of the gift that was given to them. It was just about what they did with it. The two got two more. The five got five more. In a moment, you'll see they got even more than that. But they found their opportunities doubled along with their responsibilities. But the one talent guy, here's what happened with him. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who's been, who has, will be given more, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant to the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, it was a good story to that point, wasn't it? 
And as Christians, we kind of have this view that this is the master's kind of the picture of Jesus. We kind of expect him when the one servant goes, you know, I didn't really trust you. I thought you were mean, so I just kind of buried. Here you go. We kind of expect the master to go, oh, it's okay. Here's a little bit of grace. God bless you. Come give me a hug. Buddy Jesus. But anyway, he goes, you, you, you slothful servant. You're lazy. I mean, he, he just laid it out. And, and what, he, what we forget sometimes is that the master is returning someday, and he will ask for an account on our lives. Right. He is loving. He is holy. He is gracious. But he's also just. Yes. And we're thankful for that. But we recognize that just means there is just us as well. And that gives us hope in this world and hope in the world to come. And we recognize this because sometimes we are deceived to believe that just getting by is enough. God, if I can just hang on, it's enough. And we're deceived by Satan, the enemy of our souls, that, that, that we've been deceived so much that many today who name the name of Jesus have become better at making excuses than they have in walking by faith. I buried the gift because I wasn't confident in my abilities. It's not your abilities he's interested in. It's his ability in us. His ability for our inability is, is the Christian walk. I wasn't sure it'd make a difference. It's such a small gift. Then you don't understand the value of one life, do you? That's right. Because if your one gift changes one life, it's worth it all. I, I know God gave me this marriage, but, you know, we really didn't grow up because, you know what, my, my spouse just really wasn't interested, so we're just, we're just there. And yet marriage should be one of the greatest testimonies to God of his grace in this world. You can take two sinners, put them together, and God says be one for the rest of your days. That's why you want a strong marriage, you get closer to God. It's, it's like saying, God, I would increase my discipleship. I, I would really get into your word. I'd really pray. I'd really serve. But you know what, God? I'm just flat out too busy. Doing what? <laughs> Building a kingdom that's going to go away the moment you take your last breath? Right. Leaving your kids stuff they really don't even want? I'm sorry if you haven't figured it out yet. I, I've worked for different organizations, and, and when you get to the end of your day at the organization, you're expecting a party. They may give you a piece of cake, but they're also going to kick you out the door because there's 20 more people waiting for your place. But we have a God in heaven that measured our days and knows our days and gives us opportunity. And there's a day when we take our last breath. It's not over. It's not a gold watch. It's here we come into his presence forever, and there we experience the fullness of our creation. You see, when the master returns, he's not going to ask you, he's not going to ask anyone else what they did with you. No, he's going to ask you what you did or did not do with your gift in life. It's not about what anybody else has, what anybody else does. It's about what you have. So we got to stop making excuses for we will all give an account. So what causes many not to, to risk? What causes many people to stay in the boat? There's three things. We're going to wrap this up. The first is what I call the curse of comparison. We are by nature people that always have our eyes on someone else. Yes. Why did they get more gifts than I did? <laughs> what made them special? Oh, you, you were born into a Christian family. That's why you got so much. <laughs> no, each servant stands on his own before his master. You have the privilege of upbringing. You have the privilege of, of, of surrounding. But you've got to make choices whether God is your God or not. This story is so real to life because there's varied amounts of gifting. It, they're, they're always, can I just tell you, is, help somebody out here. There's always someone that's more talented than your kid. There's always someone that is smarter than you in the room. Well, most of the time. There's always someone 
Depends on what room you're in. There's always somebody out there who's more gifted than you. It's just, it's just fact of life. They're, they're freaks of nature. They're, there's, 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 you know, there's some people that only come along one time. I'm sorry. My generation, there'll never be one greater than Michael Jordan. Just get over it. Sorry. There's only one made that way. I remember coming out of high school. I, I enjoyed playing high school football. Until, okay, this is great. Let's go to college. And I showed up at a real university, and I'm looking at these giants walking around, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing football anymore. <laughs> There's always more gifting. There's always someone that's better. And, and honestly, gifts, we have to be honest about them. There are some gifts that are outward, right? They, they go before us. You just see them. They're there. Everybody knows it's there. But I tell you, the gifts that are behind the scene, that are quiet, that are inward, are just as powerful and just as needed and just as important to God as the ones that are out there. Some of us just get to be on the stage. We didn't ask for it. That's how God gifted us. Some of us, as a pastor, you're like, oh, what a gift. You'd be a pastor. No, not only does God do I give an account for me in my life, Scripture says I give an account for you. You don't have that. So be careful when we get jealous of other people's gifts or other people's positions and say, you know what, God, I'm going to take what you have given me, God, and I'm going to multiply that thing, God. I'm going I'm to turn that five into ten, that two into four, that one into two, whatever it looks like. Because, again, the story is about what the servants did with what they were given. The size of the gift was not crucial at all. Because the master responds to each of them with the, in identical fashion. Whether you're five, two, or one talent person, it doesn't matter. What matters is what did you do with what you were given? And comparison is dangerous. That's why social media is such insidious. Comparison is either going to lead to pride or a sense of superiority if I'm ahead of someone or misery if I'm behind. Well, I'm, I'm 40. I should have this by now. Really? Why? Well, they didn't seem to work hard. Look what they have. That's God's business. We, there, we, we're going to fall into this trap and what we're going to do is we're going to bury our gifts. Understand this about the Lord of the gift. He's very wise, guys. He's very wise, and he knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was well pleased that you exist, and he's entrusted you everything you need to fulfill the purpose for which you came on this earth to do. Everything. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have God with you. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to say it again, God will not ask you, why didn't you lead someone else's life? Why didn't you lead someone else's life? Or why didn't you invest someone else's gifts? Or what did you do with what you didn't have? God doesn't hold us in account of what we don't have. He holds account of what we do have. So why did the servant bury the gift? So we said it's a curse of comparison. The second, and this is where he was, is the curse of fear. We talked a lot about fear two weeks ago because fear is the number one reason why people refuse to get out of the boat, that place they control. And yet in the Bible, there are 366 fear not verses, one for every day, including leap year. I think God does know us and understand how we're wired. He says, fear not. Why? Because fear will always make you bury your treasure. Fear will always make you bury your gift. Fear makes people disobedient to the call of God. But God, if I say yes to you, what's going to happen? When Denise and I were first starting out in ministry, we had the blessed experience of ministering in a little town called Chinkapin, North Carolina. Yeah. We lived in Rose Hill, man. We were the only people that moved there in a whole year. It was awesome. But we lived right next door to the Methodist church, and I found another young struggling pastor who was still liking me, like, what do we do to get out here? And uh, I was out working my yard one day, and he thought it was a fun trick to stand behind a tree and like, Mike, 
I've called you to Africa. I've called you to Asia. I've called you to the places of the world. And he starts naming every country in the world. And finally, like, dude, that is not the voice of God. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, God hadn't called me there. But if he did, fear would probably make me go, huh. Were we fearful when we started Hope Church? Yes. That day on September 14, 2008, when we opened the doors of the theater, I'm like, dear God, please let there be somebody standing on the other side. Or I just took my family on a journey that is ridiculous. God is faithful. Because when you obey his gift and you walk by faith, you walk in trust and obedience, he comes through. You see, fear, fear makes people disobedient to God. If you look at sin, let's just whatever sin you want to name, but if you look at sin, the underlying root of all sin is fear. Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, why did God not want us to eat of that tree? Is he holding out on us? Am I, am I fear of missing out on something? Or is he really a good God? Because that's what Satan put into their minds. Because he said, well, maybe God's not such a great God then because he's holding out on you. And that's where the root of all sin is. It comes out of fear. But Isaiah the prophet said this in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, who, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Hallelujah. Guys, the safest place to be in life is where God wants you to be. The safest play in place in life is where Jesus calls you to come and walk with him. The safest place for Peter was not sitting in the boat. It was stepping out and doing that which was impossible, only because God made it possible. Fear is not an adequate excuse. Notice the servant wasn't judged for doing bad things. Oh, you wicked servant, you did such bad. No, he's judged for doing nothing. There you go. The, the greatest sin may not be just some act you do, it may be just doing nothing. In fact, in the word it says, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Yeah, that, that'll keep you on your knees. You see, we are stewards of what the Lord of the gift has given us. And Jesus saw, called this servant because of his choice of an action, a wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because he was robbing God. He was robbing God of the blessing of seeing his servant become what he wanted to become. He was robbing God of, of that opportunity to bless him overwhelmingly. And God says, I can't believe it. I was trying to set you up for success. And you didn't take it. We've got to remember that every time we withhold our gift and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm too afraid to let it go. You see, the wicked servant was afraid of walking by faith because there was no guarantee. At least you could have. At least you could have put it in the bank. Here's the third reason I believe sometimes we don't get out of the boat. So the first is, is, is that comparison. The second is fear. But the third, and this is the American version, and that is the curse of comfort. We all want comforts. We all want more than. We all want more than enough. Can I tell you, it's more comfortable to not take on risk. Can we agree with that? Hey, I don't risk anything, I'm okay. It was more comfortable just being a servant and not being given such an opportunity. In fact, I imagine the, the man with the one talent said, man, I wish he wouldn't have picked me out. I wish he would have left me alone over here in the corner somewhere and just ignored me. But now he's held to account because he was given a gift. We were created for the need of challenge. We were created for the need of growing. Tests have purpose, physical, mental tests. They, they call us out of our comfort zone to do something we know we can't. This Thursday night when we were at Pantry, Mel came over and Casey and I'm out in the parking lot like, hey, uh, we just got a call. There's an 18-wheeler showing up full of salad. 
Now, that may mean nothing to y'all. We're like, are you kidding me? And it's like the whole team went into like ninja mode. It was like, there's a test. We can do this. We can shut down the whole thing and still serve people and unload a trailer. And it's, I watched all these people just like all of a sudden they got excited. I'm like, prove my point. We're meant to be challenged. And man, it feels good when you, when you crush it, right? Can I, it felt good when that last box of salad. How many boxes did we get anyway? It was really crazy, right? 260 boxes of salad with 12 salads in each one. That's a lot of salad, somebody. But it fed a lot of people. But we're energized by that. Why? Because we're always called to get out of our comfort zone. We're always getting beyond predictable, to get beyond what we think we can do. It's risky to pull gifts out of the boxes, but can I tell you, it's always worth it. I mean, think for just a moment of all the what might have been in your life. Don't think too long, you'll get into condemnation. And that's not from God. We may never know. I don't think I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to put up on a screen somewhere all the things I missed. Because he paid the price already through the cross. But on this earth, I know. And there, there's places where we've missed God's goodness because we, 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 we've missed the opportunity, but we can choose now. We can't go back and redo. Do you understand that? We can't go back and like, oh, give me another shot, God. But we can choose now to say, God, to this point forward, Father, I choose, I choose to walk in the gift. I choose to risk it, God. I choose to get out there. Why? Because I want God to work in my life and I want someone else to know him. You see, I want God to ask in my life, or I want to ask God for commands, not guarantees. I want to be at a place as I'm, as I'm coming year by year, getting older, saying, God, I, age is not the thing that keeps me from walking by faith. Opportunity is not the thing that, walks by, that keeps me from walking by faith. Situation is not the thing that keeps me from walking by faith. As long as I have breath, God, I can walk by faith. Amen. And I can be like Caleb, oh, give me that mountain, God. Or I can shrink back into what culture wants us to and say, just go sit in the corner. Let the next generation rise up. That's not God made us. That's why Curtis and I have a mentor, Brother Tolliver, I mentioned him several times here on his deathbed at 90-something years old. One day he looks at me and says, Mike, I'm not afraid to meet God. I'm ready. I just like to stay around longer to tell more people about Jesus in a nursing home. My God, give me that spirit. Because not only is he the God of the settled account, we're going to close here, he's the Lord of the reward. He is the Lord of the reward. Guys, God has wonderful things in store for those who open the gift to get out of the boat. Well done. Share in your master's happiness. I'll put you in charge of many things. You see, the greater reward is before us. We don't talk a lot about heaven these days. Not sure why. Some people view heaven as like the villages down in Florida. Shoot me now. Bunch of old people out there playing croquet, eating bad food and calling it good. Heaven is not some great retirement village where we all sit around and play guards, golf, and all that. And just a quick point, guys, let's be honest. There is no golf in heaven. Because the Bible says there'll be no more lying, cheating, weeping, wailing, or gnashing of teeth. Only those who play golf understand. <laughs> Heaven will be a place where we finally realize in completeness our creation because there will be no longer sin. There will be no more consequences of sin. We are now with God forever. We made perfectly whole in that moment. That's heaven, but it's not about sitting around on a cloud playing a harp somewhere. There's opportunity, and there's importance, and there is position even in that place. Why? Because God said there's rewards for those who serve him. 
It's going to be the ultimate place. Oh, we're, we're rewarded on earth. Yes, let's agree with that. It, it is a good life to live a life of faith. It doesn't mean it doesn't come without sorrow. It doesn't, come with, it doesn't mean without tragedy. It doesn't come without sickness and all those things because we live in a sin-cursed, messed-up world. But I live in it differently than those that didn't open the gift. Why? Because God is with me. Amen. And he is my strength. Amen. In fact, his strength is made perfect in my weakness, according to God's word. You see, Peter got out of the boat and was changed forever. And above all the other disciples that we read about, especially in the book of Acts, Peter stands out. And I have to believe it's because he took that risk of faith. Oh, he was ultimately martyred. Lost his life for Jesus. They all were. But man, you could never accuse him of living a safe, comfortable life of routine that was risk-free. If so, we wouldn't even know the name Peter. He wouldn't be in the story. So what has the Lord of the gift given you? Let me just throw a couple of questions, and we're going to close with a song, and God, God will finish the final point today because the Holy Spirit's going to speak into our hearts in this moment. But what has the Lord of the gift given you that needs to be invested into the kingdom? Do you know the one thing, or do you think you know the one thing that God placed you on this earth for? What's your willingness? What's your willingness to take a step of faith? It requires more power and wisdom than you know that you possess. Guys, that's life. If you haven't lived long enough, when you think you got it all in control and all that, and it's all in your strength and power, it all falls apart, or you'll mess it up. But when it's put in God's hands, there's no safer journey. There's no greater place. There's, there's blessing, there's reward, there's power, there's faith, there's fear, all of that. Why? Because we're now living that adventure life of extreme obedience that he's called us to. So the reality is on this Mother's Day morning, some today just need to ask themselves, where is it that I need to reinvest in the kingdom of God? For some, it's their minds. You need to reinvest your minds into the kingdom of God and stop filling them up with the junk of this world, the jealousy, the fear, the greed, the anger, et cetera, et cetera, and renew them with the living word of God. Amen. This is not a book to put on a shelf or put on a coffee table and look like you're spiritual in the South. It's something to read and digest, even the hard parts. I've been reading through Isaiah. I don't like it until the end. I was reading the Revelation. I don't like it until the end. But it gives me life. It gives me hope. It gives me peace. We need to invest our minds. Some need to invest their unrealized potential of their assets. What has God given you? Well, it's my house. Really? Who gave you the ability to create wealth? Well, what do you mean? Well, maybe you open the doors of your house and invite people and show hospitality and love them in Jesus' name. Well, it's my retirement. Really? I know it gets quiet in this. Some go through life just accumulating stuff that their heirs are going to fight over when they're gone and never invest anything to make a difference in this world, to spread the gospel, to feed the poor, to develop society, to encourage the downtrodden, to engage in places of health and healing for those that are just broken. Guys, that's our duty. That's our call. But it doesn't happen unless we choose to invest risk. Some need to invest their time and talents. Typical life in America. Get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, watch TV, retire, and die. Repeat, 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 repeat. 
I don't know, somebody just needs to take off a Thursday and come out and stand in the parking lot and serve some people that are in a worse place than you are. And then you'll stop complaining. And you might find out the love of God flows amazing. And so often those that have little, <laughs> I see more love of God in them sometimes than anybody else. You see, guys, as we walk in this walk, this journey God has given us, we've got to decide, do we open the gift? Do we ask the Lord to command us, get out of the boat, or do we stay in? We've got a choice. And no matter what choice we make, yes or no, it will always change our lives. But let me put a little thought in you, not just yours. It has a multiplication effect to everyone else around you. Because all of our lives are like that rock you throw in the pond. It's going to create ripples. And hopefully those ripples are good.